أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان وبعد So today we read the طبقة of the Sheikh Khaja Faridu Shakar Ganj رحمه الله تبارك وتعالى his father was a Sheikh Jamaluddin, the maternal cousin of the Sultan Mahmud Ghaznavi. Uh, his name was Mas'ud and his title was Fariduddin. He was a descendant of Amir al-Mu'minin Umar ibn, Abdul, uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was born in 584 or 585 or 569 Hijra in Kotwal, which is in the district of Multan. His grandfather, Qadi Shu'aib, migrated from the homeland in Kabul uh, during the era of uh, Halaku or Hulegu, the Mongol uh, uh, general, and went to Lahore. Qadi Mansur of Lahore, who had acquired his knowledge in Kabul, had informed the king of Dili of the arrival of Qadi Shu'aib. The king offered him a post. However, he declined and went to Multan. The king instructed the governor of Multan to arrange a fief for uh, Qadi Shu'aib. This was arranged in Kotwal where he finally settled. So there's a number of things. Uh, uh, Mahmoud Ghaznavi rahimahullah ta'ala was the, uh, the, the famous Turkic king uh, who conquered, um, conquered large swaths of the Indian subcontinent. Um, he was the, uh, the king who conquered uh, the Somnath Temple. There was a idol of the, the Hindu god Shiva in that temple that was so large that uh, it took them, it took, it took the army s- several days to destroy it completely. Um, interestingly enough, the Muslims, when they used to conquer the Hindu lands, it's not like it was a, a, a common practice for them to destroy their temples. In fact, um, the 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 amali and practical fatwa that they used to use is they would just uh, consider them to be like Zoroastrians, which is that they're not completely people of the book in the sense that they gave fatwa that it's haram to marry their women and it's haram to eat their slaughter, but uh, give them the benefit of the doubt that perhaps their deen, because it's ancient, is somehow rooted in some sort of revelation. Uh, but the the thing that happened with the Somnath Temple is that there was so much wealth and riches and gold uh, and the idol was so precious to them that when his army passed through that land the, the, uh, the people in the temple tried to uh, they offered him an amount of money to spare the temple and because they did it he was offended he said that you think you're going to buy my dean out for money and so he, 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 he declared to them that he's not going to spare it so if they want to defend it they can defend it with their army and there was a, a battle and he uh, entered in and destroyed the, temp- the, the temple and destroyed the, the, the idol. Imagine if the idol was so large that it took them uh, several days to break the stone of it. Um, it was it was a great it was a great uh, uh, feat, and it was uh, not a small matter. So he's known in, in Farsi as but shikan, which uh, which is a Farsi uh, expression for idol breaker, uh, and that was one of his reinal titles. And he was very well known for that for sacking the the, the Somnath temple. And, uh, you know, some modern sensibilities may be offended by that. 
But, you know, if you worship wood and stone, A, something's wrong with you in the head, and B, you're going to the hellfire. So there's a greater, there's a greater uh, mercy uh, in that being shown. It's like Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, he said to his people that uh, when they asked who destroyed our idols, he said, ask the big one. They say, you know, they don't talk and they don't have any, they don't, they're not able to understand anything. They don't harm you, they don't benefit you. So his, uh, he's a maternal cousin of, of, uh, of uh, Mahmoud Ghaznavi. And he's a descendant of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There are a large number of the mashayikh, both of this era and uh, after it, and before it that are that are from the lineage of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhum, including Shawaliullah and his family, and including Mujaddid al-Thani, uh, Shaykh Ahmed Sarhandi, who the only extant line of the only extant line of the Naqshbandi Tariqah comes through him, and uh, he is from Sarhand, which is uh, in, in East Punjab. Uh, and uh, uh, Kotwal is a place that, that that's I mean it's still a modern city in, in, in Punjab. Uh, Multan is an interesting place also that he settled in Multan because uh, Multan is a place that was first conquered by Muhammad bin Qasim al-Thaqafi. He was a nephew of Hajjaj bin Yusuf um, and his army was dispatched by Banu Umayyah uh, to free uh, Hajjaj who were captured by, uh, by uh, a Hindu uh, pirate, a king in Sindh. And um, they conquered all the way up to Multan. And it's said that after, after uh, 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 Muhammad bin Qasim uh, uh, conquered Multan, for 200 years the, the, the native language in that place was actually Arabic. The, the main language that was spoken there was Arabic. And to this day you'll see the southern part of, part of Punjab, which was co- conquered by the armies of the Salaf, Banu Umayyah. Um, they're culturally different than the other part of Punjab. In the sense that the, the language is, is, is a little bit different, but the cultures and the customs are more in line with Muslim cultures and customs. So, for example, in the southern part of Punjab, uh, um, the mahar is given from the boy's side of the family to the girl's side, which is a, uh, which is a custom of the Muslims. Whereas in the rest of the subcontinent, at least until relatively recently, the, the, the girl's side used to give a huge dowry to the boy's side, as is the custom of the Hindus, and they would give some token amount as the actual mahar itself. Um, there are a number of customs like that. You'll see that there are actually you'll see more camels in those places, and you'll see people eat dates and like the the, the kind of the way they they, they carry themselves. It's, it's culturally closer to that the customs of the Arabs than 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 in uh, um, than in in the 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 part, the part of Punjab where the army of the Salaf never reached. And you'll see also that uh, a number of great mashaykh come from from that that place, both from the ulama. Uh, of all different uh, of all different uh, 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 schools of thought, and also from the Sufia of the different turuq. Uh And the last thing I wanted to point out from this paragraph is that um, what happened? The Qadi of Lahore, who was a classmate, he studied in Kabul, and he was a classmate of of the Qadi Shu'aib. So the Qadi Mansur of Lahore was a classmate of Qadi Shu'aib, who was the grandfather of Sheikh Fariduddin. He wrote to the king that this is my classmate and is a very accomplished scholar. So what did the king do? He uh, he wrote to the uh, uh, to the to the the, the his uh, diwan, the secretary, that he should be given a fief. A fief is what he should be given like lands, the produce of which will be written, the income of which is written to for for his income, um, which is. 
a sensibility they had in the old days because that's how the ulama are going to be independent. Now, instead, we just buy tickets to go to conferences and like, I don't know, YouTube hits and like, you know, stuff like that. But as long as the ulama are constantly day-to-day like um, dependent on dependent on a source of income um, from from the awam, then the awam are going to direct the direction in which the ulama go and not the other way around. Uh, and this is very important because I think a lot of people have a very corporatized mindset. They're like, oh, we have to have accountability. There has to be committee oversees this, that, and the other thing. The person who spent his life studying the deen, the only person who will oversee them is the other ulama. It's not going to be the awam. If the awam have the risk in one hand, and uh, 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 then how are they going to take their islah in the other? It doesn't really work like that. So the reason he was in Qutwal was that the, uh, the, 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 the king of Dili uh, gave him, uh, wrote for him a fief in... Uh, in uh, 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 wrote for him a fief over there. The question might come up, by the way, is why, why, why do always uh, certain imams always gripe about the money? Uh, Khaja's grandfather was a qadi. The qudat got paid. Khaja himself was a Sufi. The Sufis didn't take anything from anyone. They didn't take a dime from anybody. Uh, uh, and they're both different types of ulama, but they never took a dime from anyone. This is why the, the, the Qudat were respected universally, uh, but the Sufis were, 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 were venerated as the awliya of Allah Ta'ala, because the person who uh, takes is not like the person who doesn't take. The person who doesn't take, there's a sort of transcendence about that person that Allah Ta'ala cloaks them in a type of nobility that, uh, uh, that the people who take, uh, uh, um, even though they are wor- worthy of respect and command respect according to the deen, uh, that they're not the same. And that person has a, a, a level, a darajah of, of resemblance to the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that's higher than, than other people. But, you know, the, the system has to work practically. We have to think about practical things as well. There are certain people as a gift from Allah Ta'ala, He will allow them to get through without taking from people. And that's the fadl of Allah He gives to whoever He wishes. Shaykh Fariduddin acquired part of his academic knowledge in the Masjid of Qadim Hajuddin. Uh, it was here that he became, uh, 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 he, that he gave his uh, hand in bay'ah to the Shaykh Qutubuddin Bakhtiar, uh, of whom we spoke yesterday. He completed his academic career in Kabul. The Shaykh Nizamuddin, who was uh, another, uh, who, who was a disciple of the Shaykh Fariduddin Ganshakar, uh, Shaykh Nizamuddin Oliya, uh, I'm told to this day that if you want to go to his uh, Mufti Naif in Detroit, told me if you want to go to his Mazar, even a Hindu cab driver, if you say take me to Nizamuddin, uh, he'll correct you and say Hajrat Nizamuddin. Yeah, they, they, they consider it disrespectful to not say Hazrat uh, with it, even though there's no za in the Hindi language. So there's Hajrat Nizamuddin instead of if you if you say Nizamuddin to them. The Sheikh Nizamuddin said once while Hazrat Sheikh Fariduddin's mother was performing salat, a thief entered. When he gazed at her, he immediately became blind. The thief cried out, "I came with the intention of stealing and have become blind. I pledge never to steal again." At this time, Hazrat Shaykh's age was approximately six years old. He himself made dua and the man's sight was restored. In the morning, he came with his entire family and accepted Islam. So next time we go on a Twitter storm talking garbage about Islamophobes or whatever, mashallah, these people dealt with it according to the prophetic methodology. In the morning, he came with his entire family and accepted Islam. His name was then Abdullah, and he remained in Hazrat's service till the end. There are several views for him becoming known, famous by the title of 
Ganj Shakar. Uh, when he decided on the path of mujahada or struggling against his own soul, his sheikh advised him uh, to maintain hunger. He therefore became, he began fasting. After three days, a man came and presented some bread. Thinking this to be by divine direction, he accepted and ate the bread. Within a few moments, he became nauseous and vomited out whatever he ate it, whatever he ate. He reported this incident to his sheikh who said, After three days you ate the food of a drunkard. Shukr to Allah Ta'ala, thanks to Allah Ta'ala that the food did not remain in your stomach. Now remain hungry for another three days and eat what comes to you from the ghayb. After three days nothing came. He was overcome by weakness. On account of the extreme hunger he felt, he put some pebbles into his mouth and the pebbles turned into sugar. Fearing this may be some deception, he spat it out. A short while again he felt extreme hunger once more. Uh, and he put the pebbles into his mouth. These two became sugar, which he again spat out. This happened a third time. In the morning, he reported to his sheikh, who said, it would have been good had you eaten it. Since that day, he was called Shakar Ganj. Shakar is the, the, the Persian word for uh, sukkar, for sugar, and Ganj means uh, uh, treasure. According to another version, on the seventh day of hunger, he came, tottering to his sheikh, sand, on his mouth had be- sand in his mouth, which had then become sugar. Another explanation is that once he asked a trader for some sugar and the trader falsely said that he only had salt, uh, Hazrat said to him, it must be salt. When the trader looked, the sugar had become salt. The trader apologized and salt again became sugar. Hazrat Shaykh Fariduddin resorted to extreme methods of mujahada initially. Uh, Hazrat Sultan al-Mashaykh said, a hair came from out of Hazrat Shaykh's beard. I requested permission to use the hair in a ta'weez, in an amulet. He granted me permission. I wrapped it in a cloth. When someone gave, became ill, I would give him the ta'weez. When the sick person was cured I, ret- cured, I retrieved it. I observed many benefits of this ta'weez. Once when a friend became ill, he asked for a, for a ta'weez. Although I searched much, I could not find it. The friend then died. On another occasion, when I searched for it in order to give it to another person, I found it on the shelf where I had left it. I then realized that since the moat of the friend, the death of the friend had been ordained at that time, I could not locate the ta'weez. Now, stories like this, for example, a person may ask, okay, isn't this horrible bid'ah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, these are all the karamat of the awliya. When a person is a person of deen and is a person of scrupulous and steadfast in observing the sharia, when these things happen... This is a karama Allah Ta'ala uh, uh, vouchsafes at the hands of his awliya in order to what? In order to uh, 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 prove the correctness of their, 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 their da'wah and their claim. Because it's a part of our aqidah also that the karamat of the awliya, the miracles of the saints, are uh, all of them one collectively, they form one of the miracles of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so these things do happen. Specifically, do you have to believe this story as a matter of aqidah? No. You may say, okay, maybe that didn't happen. But in general, the karamat of the awliya, a person who doesn't believe them, believe in them, it's as if they have neglected a, a part of the belief in Islam and the belief in the Prophet ﷺ. Obviously, people entered into Islam in the, in, in the thousands at the hands of such people. So this is, this is a hikmah why Allah Ta'ala vouchsafed these miracles to be uh, uh, shown at their hands. Shaykh Fariduddin's a spiritual grandfather, yani his sheikh's sheikh, Khaja Muinuddin, spoke in glowing praise of him. Once he said, Qutbuddin has imprisoned a great royal falcon. It's a metaphor that Qutbuddin, his, his, uh, uh, his uh, successor, 
he looked at his his uh, disciple uh, Fariduddin and said, "Qutbuddin has imprisoned a great royal falcon." On another occasion, he said, "This is a candle which will brighten the homes of the dervishes. He will be the Ghoth and the Qutb of his time." Both Ghoth and Qutb are are, are names for uh, the, the the highest ranks of the Oliya. Ghoth being the highest rank of the Oliya and Qutb uh, uh, being the one below it. When Hazrat Sheikh Khaja Qutbuddin was on his deathbed, when Khaja Qutbuddin Bakhtiar Kaki was on his deathbed, he called Hazrat Fariduddin and appointed him his representative. Hunger was the dominant feature in his life. Many a time, even his wife and children had to experience hunger. His famous statement is, "When you don the mantle, you know that. When you don the mantle, you know that you've donned the kafan. The mantle of what? The mantle is the the the." Uh, Majaz or the the metaphor for the uh, being sheikh, because this was the the old practice of the Sufis that the the, the way that they used to show their khilafa their ijaza is that the 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 patched cloak of the the sheikh he would give it to one of the one of the successors and that successor would then wear it and then he would carry the authority of his sheikh and that 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 khirqa was passed through generation after generation and said that Ibn Taymiyyah wore the khirqa of Shah Abdul Qadir Jailani. Uh, and it's a claim that he himself makes, I think, in his fatawa. Uh, uh, and so he says, whoever wears the khirqa, they should know that the khirqa is kafan, that your nafs is dead at that time. Uh, it's not, unfortunately, now, like our uh, you know goofy friends do, that, that this has become like uh, an opportunity to become a big shot and have people make your khidma and blah, blah, blah. The true haq of it is that your, your nafs dies that day. No, no more are you. Uh, and it probably should have died far before that. No more do you, your, does your nafs have a, a part in, in what you do in the day and, and, and in, in the night. Once Khaja Muinuddin was the guest of Khaja Qutbuddin. So the Grand Sheikh is the guest of the Sheikh. The beds of both host and guests were in the same room. Khaja Fariduddin, according to his normal routine, went at night into the room to press the feet of his sheikh. Khaja Qutbuddin signaled for him to press the feet of his sheikh, Khaja Muinuddin. After pressing his feet for a few minutes, Khaja Fariduddin came to his own sheikh and said, My heart is here, where else can I go? Khaja Muinuddin commented, Qutbuddin, at least give him something. Meaning what? There's a couple of things people will find strange here. I don't think I've ever seen this before in America, but it's a custom of the students of knowledge and it's a custom of the the the, the disciples in Tasawwuf that they make service for their mashaykh. Here it's, I mean, you see that a little bit, but one of the things that they do is that they'll actually put put a hand on the sheikh and they'll they'll like massage their back or their neck or their feet. Uh, uh, why? Because oftentimes when you go, when you do these things properly, like when you're traveling and you go and speak at like different places or whatever, you're quite exhausted by the end of it. So it's a way, a token by which the, the student, uh, you know, shows appreciation for the sheikh and does some sort of service for him. Really people who are not dunyawi people, uh, um, there's very little you can do for them anyway. So it's like one of the few things that you can do for them in the first place. Uh, one of our ulama, mashallah, I actually told him he would forbid any of the students from from doing his khidmah ever. And I said, look, you know, it's not it's not necessarily that you're doing it for your own nafs, but there's a great deal of 
There's a great deal of barakah and benefit that the student receives through doing the service of their shaykh, which has nothing to do with who the shaykh is, but has to do with the silsila, and it has to do with Allah Ta'ala rewarding a person for doing something good. Uh, um, and he actually came to me later on and said, you're right, you know, because when we don't allow the students to do these things, they don't learn any better, they don't learn adab or, or, or anything like that. And uh, so the story is what? Is that Khaja Muinuddin and, and Khaja Qutbuddin, they're, they're in their bed uh, about to go to sleep in the same room. And uh, 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 Fariduddin, who's the, the murid of, of Khaja Qutbuddin, he enters to pre- press his sheikh's feet as it is his habit. And so he signals to him to go, no, you go to my sheikh and do his khidmat instead today. And so he did it for some time and he went back to his sheikh and this is, uh, he went back to his sheikh and, and he said what? He said that my heart is here, what can I do? And so the sheikh, Khaja Muinuddin says to him, he says, give him something. You should give him something. Why? Meaning what? That you should give him from your attention and from your duas and from whatever Allah Ta'ala gave you spiritually, you should give it to him as well because look how much love he has for you, how attached you are, he, he is to you. And this is also another part of, this is also another concept or precept in Tasawwuf is that one of the reasons there's, there, there, there is the institution of taking a sheikh is that if you take from every single sheikh, I like this thing from Salman, I like this thing from Humayun, I like this thing from Rafi, I like this thing from Basit, I like this thing from Mahin, I like this thing from Imran. What will happen? You're picking and choosing. Your nafs has a, a hissa in it. Right, and the fact of the matter is, there may be like twenty different shaykhs. All of them are good people. All of them will, if you follow their instructions, you'll benefit and you'll you'll achieve what your goal is. But uh, uh, if you pick and choose, the nafs still has a part in it. Uh, whereas if you go to one of them and say, "I know this person to be a good person," obviously, if someone tells you to do something haram or whatever, this is a calamity that comes afterward that a person's sheikh is a charlatan or whatever. But assuming that the the person is a, actually a pious man of Allah Taala, which nobody knows for sure, but the signs are there in in, in people. Um, going to one sheikh, the 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 benefit in it is what is that your nafs has no no part in it at all, and that gets difficult after some time. There's some people who do like doing like kind of like the shaykhi tourism and like going from one place to the other and then get bored with someone or like when the person actually starts expecting you to be serious as a student hop from one place to the other. Uh, and it, the, the pastor, pa, pastor, pastor is always greener on the other side. Um, there are a lot of people like that. And the sign of a person who's a very serious student or a talib or, 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 or murid in, in, it, both in knowledge and in tasawwuf is that they stick to someone until they get whatever they're able to get from that person. And that's not something you decide, that's something that the shaykh tells you they'll give you ijazah at one point or at one point that you've mastered whatever I have to offer, then you can go and and benefit from someone else or benefit other people. So the the the, the story is beautiful in the sense that it shows what? Uh, even our own mashaykh from Darulum uh, Deoband, uh, they, uh, uh, you know, Mulana Rashid Ahmad Gangohi, Mulana Qasim Nanotri Rahimullah Ta'ala, I believe, it's reported from them that they said, uh, uh, even if uh, Junaid Baghdadi was alive in this time, we would not have left our Shaykh in order to uh, go to him because the benefit we get from, from him, we, our, our feeling is that that's, that benefit is more than he, we would have gotten from somebody else. Junaid Baghdadi is rahimullah ta'ala the tawus al-tariqah. He's like the peacock of the, of the tariqah. He is himself, his name has become a, uh, 
a, 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 a metaphor for everything that's beautiful and wonderful about the soul. So they said, what? They said, maybe that even if he was alive today, we wouldn't have gone to him. We wouldn't have gotten the benefit from him that we got from our shaykh. This is part of a person's risk and the benefit of istiqama and staying with somebody. So the, the grand sheikh was so touched that look, you know, this, this kid is not like looking to be like, oh, like this is the big sheikh. I'm going to go and like benefit from him now. And we have this, by the way, this is so bad. We have this like in this locality, in many localities, you'll have somebody who is a person of the utmost amount of accomplishment, both in their knowledge and in their spirituality and their mujahadat and their struggles, everything. But the person, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're taken for granted. So somebody comes from out of town and the whole masjid fills up to listen to those people. And, uh, the people that you have, that you've actually benefited from, like on a day to day basis that are right there, right next to you. People don't, uh, uh, you know, people, they, they don't really, uh, uh, appreciate what they're getting from there. And the fact of the matter is if you dig a little bit here, you dig a little bit there, you're not going to get anything. But if you keep digging in the same place again and again, even if it's a very little bit, eventually you're going to strike water. Uh, and so the sheikh was, the grand sheikh was impressed that this kid is not a groupie. He's not a sheikhi groupie. He's not a Twitter follower or a Facebook follower. He's actually like somebody who actually wishes to take the how from you, uh, 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 which goes back in a sanad to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So give him, give him something, give him something. Don't, don't, don't hold back from him. The sheikh's death, Hazrat Sheikh Fariduddin passed away on the fifth of Muharram in the year uh, uh, six sixty four or six sixty eight on a Monday. Another version gives the year at six sixty. Rasulullah also passed away on a Monday. His uh, grave is in Pakpatan in the district of Multan. This place is between Lahore and Multan. He has an innumerable number of khulafa. The number is said to be as high as 70,000. Uh, Wallahu alam. In Jawahirul Farid, the names of 584 of his khulafa are enumerated. The most famous amongst them is uh, Hazrat Shaykh al-Mashay Khaja Alauddin. Uh, Sabir uh, Kalyari, whose discussion will be will be uh, will follow. So the 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 mujahadat of the Sheikh Fariduddin, some of them will be mentioned in the the uh, um, the the tabaqa regarding Alauddin Kalyari, al mulaqab bis Sabir, the one whose nickname was as Sabir, the patient one. Um, because he is the nephew, he's the nephew of Khaja Fariduddin Ganshakar. It's also worth mentioning uh, a couple of uh, other things before closing out. Um, one of which is that from amongst the sheikhs, uh, uh, Khulafa that are famous also is the Sheikh Nizamuddin Oliya, who we mentioned from before. The Khanqa of, of Deoband from which uh, our Mashaykh belonged, um, they they are from the Sabiri line, not from the Nizami line. Their, 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 their Khilafah comes from the Sheikh Alauddin Sabir, not from the Sheikh Nizamuddin. The Sheikh Nizamuddin is a very well-known, famous, celebrated Sheikh of, uh, uh, of Tasawuf, of the Tariqah Chishtiya in, in, uh, uh, in the subcontinent. My Sheikh, Rahimullah Ta'ala, Sayyid Nafis, uh, uh, Anwar al-Hussein Shah, Rahimullah Ta'ala, he himself was a lineal descendant of the Sheikh Nizamuddin. And uh, he, his father was also a master uh, scribe, uh, Khattat. He was a master katib. So he, he, one of the masahif that the Taj company, the Taj company, who's a, who's a publisher of books, one of the masahif that are in circulation in Pakistan was actually written by him. 
and they also have the tariqah that they passed down from their forefathers as well, uh, uh, the Nizamiya tariqah from which he, he had his khilafat as well. Um, the Shaykh Nizamuddin was uh, also a student of knowledge, and once the Qadi of Dili passed by him, and he asked him, uh, uh, make dua for me to become Qadi. Because if you become Qadi, being Qadi is a very big mansab in the dunya. After, after the governor, the most important political uh, individual in a land was the Qadi, who was the judge. Um, and uh, people didn't like the governor because the governor was a politician. People respected the Qadi because he was an alim. Uh, because uh, it took a great, immense amount of study. The most genius of the genius like type people would, would become the Qadi. Not every alim would had a shot at becoming Qadi. So the Qadi of Dili was passing by when he was a student of knowledge. So he asked him, make dua that I become Qadi. And so the Qadi of Dili said to him, said, why, why do you want to spend this, 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 this knowledge for the dunya? Don't you want to seek a greater treasure with Allah Ta'ala instead? And so after that, he made a, 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 a as a child, he made a, 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 a firm resolution in himself that I'm not going to seek dunya from this. I'm going to only seek Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And so uh, Khaja Fariduddin Gan Shakar Ta'ala who was a sheikh sent him to Delhi which was at that time uh, a city that was not it wasn't, it wasn't the capital yet uh, its political glory was ascending and so he went to the city said how am I going to find a place uh, and he couldn't find a place for himself in the city obviously if all you're doing is teaching people Allah Allah and solving their problems and giving money to the poor you're not going to be able to you know do a fundraiser and buy by building downtown, right? So he um, he set up shop in the place that he was in, the area that he was in. Now Nizamuddin is like considered part of the city. Uh, uh, but in those days, he set up at the outskirts. He became he was such a pious and agreeable and righteous person that all the people of Delhi loved him, and they used to come to his majlis um, from the courtiers of the king. All the way down to uh, all the way down to the uh, uh, you know the common masses, and it said that his his majlis when he would hold it, there were more people that would attend the majlis than than would uh, would go to the royal court, uh, to the point where the king uh, Sultan Alauddin Khilji it upset him, and the Sultan actually uh, asked for. Uh, he actually asked for uh, 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 Nizamuddin to visit him, Sheikh Nizamuddin to visit him, and the Sheikh said, "No, I'm not going to. The, I'm not going to go visit the king." And the king said, "Well, if he doesn't visit me, uh, I'll execute him." Uh, and uh, uh, the Sheikh Nizamuddin said, "Well, I'm never going to go visit him." So the Sheikh says, "He has this many days. If he doesn't show up at court, I'm going to have him have him killed." And the days went by. And uh, uh, Khaja Amir Khusro, who was a very interesting uh, uh, individual in the history of the Indian subcontinent, uh, a person who's universally respected by Muslims and Hindus alike uh, as a literary and cultural figure, um, but he also was a very close disciple of the Sheikh Nizamuddin. Um, and there's a whole number of stories uh, regarding regarding him as well uh, uh, in in connection with the tariqah. Um, he uh, he pleaded with the sheikh. He said, "If the king kills you, it's going to cause complete upheaval in the kingdom. People are going to like riot, essentially, and people will lose their lives. Other than you, please just go visit him." And so he said, "No, I swore an oath that I I I I, I won't go and, go and visit him." 
And so as Fajr was about to break, before the Fajr broke, assassins uh, uh, snuck into the palace and uh, uh, had him killed. They assassinated the king and a new new, uh, uh, general essentially seized power and seized the throne from him. Uh, and this is this is uh, a a uh, this is a story that that reminds me of the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Ruba ashatha aghbara lo aqsama ala Allahi la abarrahu. That how many a person who is disheveled and uh, 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 dusty, meaning somebody nobody thinks that this person is a beggar that has no importance at all. In front of Allah Ta'ala, that person, his maqamat Allah is so high that if he swears an oath by Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala takes it upon himself to make that oath come true. That he swore an oath that, Wallahi, I'm never going to go and visit him. Um, and it said that Khaja Muinuddin Chishti, rahimullah Ta'ala, in his majlis, uh, nobody, uh, there was no food or drink. Right Nowadays, until you have like a potluck or a dinner at the masjid, nobody shows up, there's no food or drink in his majlis. And it said that, that Khaja Qutbuddin Bakhtiyar, there used to be a, basically at the end of the majlis a bowl of water was sent around and they say in the majlis of Khaja Fariduddin Gan Shakar because Pak Patan is out in the Ajodan the ancient name of Pak Patan where he, his Khanqa was out in the middle of nowhere right you see that, that Khaja Qutbuddin and Nizamuddin were in Delhi Khaja Muinuddin was in, in Ajmer uh, Ajodan where, where Khaja Fariduddin was it's in the middle of nowhere you know and Oftentimes there's some khanqas in the city. Some of the best ones are the ones out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, um, because people, it helps them to, to focus on, on, on non-dunyawi things. And so um, there used to be a wild fruit that would grow in the forest. And so he would send some of the, the disciples, go pick that and then you can feed it to the uh, people. But it was not good to eat, so they used to put salt on it. And so the only expense for feeding the people at the Khanqa, this like weird like wild fruit thing, was that they had to buy the salt. So one of the attendees in the Khanqa once uh, went to buy the salt, and uh, um, he, he realized when he was transacting that he didn't have any money. And the trader said, it's okay, just take it, you can pay me back later. And so this is one of the, the miracles in the books that was ascribed to the sheikh, that uh, the people of the, the, people of, uh, the Ahlullah, they disliked consuming things based bought on purchased on uh, uh, purchased on loan or credit so when he was about to eat he said there's something wrong with it so no it's the same thing that we always eat no there's something wrong in it how did you purchase it he says then he admitted that he purchased it and he f- forgot that he didn't have the money so he purchased it on 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 credit and so the chef says don't do that again and he refused to eat from it um and that's a type of austerity, mashallah. People were paying payments on their houses and on their, on their cars. Uh, uh, you know, you could take take heed of because buying things on credit is something which is like a step away from slavery. And when you owe somebody money, uh, you compromise your deen. Rasulullah also he didn't make it haram out of mercy, but he greatly discouraged people from buying things on on, on credit and on loan. Uh, however, the Sheikh Nizamuddin. His majlis was so huge, and there were so many, uh, such a huge number of differing types of people that used to attend it, that they say that the, the food that was served there, and the food that was cooked for it, and that was served on a daily basis, the number of animals that were slaughtered on a daily basis, it was greater than the royal court itself. It was greater on the royal court itself. And uh, uh, once the uh, Sultan Alauddin Khilji, who eventually ended up, 
ended up uh, 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 being assassinated. In his jealousy of the sheikh, um, he once ordered his courtiers that they said that the sheikh is wasting money on so much food. Um, so, so, so he ordered them not to not to, to to send food, cook food, or send it, or to give any more. And so the 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 attendants in the Khanqa brought the sheikh the news to the sheikh, and he said, "What you know?" They said he said that all the courtiers are no longer allowed to send food to your Khanqa anymore to feed the uh, to feed the, the the people who come to visit. Um, so maybe we should reduce our amount of you know expenditure on on feeding people. And the sheikh said, no, don't worry about it. From this day on, double it. So he doubled it. The money still kept coming in. And so there's a time There's a time to be frugal about things. There's a time to be open-handed about things, depending on your circumstance or whatever. So that was something that our, our sheikh mentioned to us, that the different khanqas run differently. Allah Ta'ala make us people who are ourselves austere. Uh, but when it comes to other people that we have a chance to feed everybody, Muslim, non-Muslim, pious, impious, people who agree with us, people who don't agree with us, that we be people that, that Allah gives us the tawfiq, that we feed them constantly. You'll see in the Indian subcontinent before the... Uh, um, before the, uh, uh, the the British colonized, every masjid used to have a kitchen with it that was open 24 hours a day and whoever wanted to eat could eat for free. The only places that still have kitchens in them are the khanqas because the kitchens ran on, on, uh, 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 on government funding. So obviously when the government is sacked by the farangi, there's no, no more funding for them. But the khanqas still have kitchens where people come and eat for free. Uh, and it's a really beautiful custom. Uh, I wish that Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq of, of continuing it as well. Wa sallallahu ta'ala rasulihi sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.